but moments that matter. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. Today on the Moments That Matter podcast, we're going to be talking to Claire Broad. Now, Claire runs her own parental coaching service and website called Angelic Monsters, and has also written a book about parenting entitled How to Be the Big Person Your Little Person Needs. And today we're going to get an overview from Claire about some of her parenting philosophies, how she came to develop her parenting program, and some of the key bits of advice that she shares on that, as well as, of course, Claire providing some information on how you can gain access to some of the services that she provides for parents. And we're really talking today specifically around parents of children from very young newborns right up to seven years of age. So hopefully if you are a parent of a young child or even know someone's about to have a child for the first time, there'll be plenty that you'll be able to get out of this podcast. So I hope you enjoy our conversation today with Claire Broad. So Claire, I'll get you to start, if you don't mind, by just giving me a brief rundown of your career to date. Oh, all right, Darren. I nannied for about 10 years uh, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and I learnt a lot about what parenting can look like in all sorts of different environments. And I started to think that maybe I had some input that I could offer parents So I decided to start Angelic Monsters in 2013, which was a really interesting journey. And then I went off and wrote How to Be the Big Person Your Little Person Needs and started running workshops. And sometimes I had like 80 parents (laughs) in a room listening to me talk about parenting. And I remember at the time finding it so bizarre because I was just this little girl that had done a lot of nannying and spent a lot of time with two-year-olds. And all these parents were asking me questions and I actually had answers for them. And yeah, it, it was really interesting how it all kind of started off. Well, what do you think it was about your, was it was it the way you were presenting the information or, or the actual information you were presenting? What do you think resonated from the time when you sort of stepped into this parental coaching uh, world, if you like? I really think that sometimes people can overcomplicate this stuff like I, I, I obviously I read a lot about parenting and there there's some really great information about you know the neuroscience of what's going on in your toddler's brain and stuff but sometimes I think it just really needs to be broken down and made very simple and practical information that parents can actually use straight away to fix a specific behavior but then I also have which I'm sure we'll talk about later, the ABCs, which is sort of these really basic foundations for parenting. And they apply from newborns all the way through to teenagers. You kind of, you just adjust the cogs as you need to. Yeah, I think I just, I just make it really simple. And sometimes that's what parents need because they're already so overwhelmed. So you said you, you sort of noticed some gaps in the, in, in the parenting space. I mean, what were the immediate gaps that you sort of noticed and thought, oh, I can fill a niche within this sort of space uh, that the parents need? Sometimes there's a real lack of empathy. I mean, I was doing a 10-hour day with toddlers is a, a normal thing for me, and then often I would stay back and babysit. So I'd be doing from before breakfast until long after dinner, which I know isn't parenting, but it's definitely when you're doing that five, six, seven days a week. It's exhausting. It's it's a really, really, really difficult job. And I think a lot of people potentially don't have 
the insight and then they come in, you know, mother-in-laws and whoever it is comes in and says, oh, you shouldn't be doing it like that. You should be doing it like this. And it can just actually make things a lot harder for parents. So yeah, I just tried to be really empathetic with the people that I was working with and really understand that they were trying to do the best by their kids. But sometimes funny behaviors just develop and, and it sort of becomes a routine. And So I guess yeah. you, you sort of looked at it and saw that the advice was sort of coming from a, you need to do this and you need to do that without an understanding and an empathy towards what parents are going through themselves on a daily basis. And I guess the challenges of parenting in today's society where you've often got two people uh, that are both working in the workforce, mm. that mm-hmm. it, it is different, isn't it? I mean, do you think that's sort of been behind this sort of, because 2013 would have been a really good time, I would imagine, to get into this, where people are looking for assistance and sort of saying, how do I manage my life now that we're both, both parents may be working and we've got all these other sort of challenges going on, as well as trying to bring up children? In 2013, there was a lot of parents that were both working as well. I think that people are more open to asking for help these days. I, I, it was it was difficult in 2013. People don't want to say, oh, I have someone coming around to my house to help me parent my child better, which people still probably aren't so open with telling everyone about that today. But I, I definitely think that people are more open to seeking help now than they were back then. Things like sleeping and eating in very young babies, people openly like they'll say, oh, we're going to Tresillion or we're doing this. Or, um, But then once you have a toddler, I think there's an expectation that you're supposed to know what you're doing by then. And yeah, there was definitely some shame associated with asking for help, which I would really love to change that because it is definitely the most difficult thing that I've ever done, <laughs> staying with a a very difficult toddler from dawn till dusk and it takes a village so and I think that to the point that we need to get across I think to everyone is it's okay to ask for help I mean I mm, just went definitely. through it myself like my my children are both teenagers now but as my daughter went moved into becoming a teenager she had or he had a lot of gender dysphoria and he my daughter is now my son so we've sort of gone through the transgender experience Mm -hmm. but as we went through it I had no idea what what I was doing and my wife had no idea what she was doing so we're sort of the blind leading the blind and we tried for a time to do it ourselves until we finally sort of put our hand up and said we need help and, and thankfully we went out and got that help so do you think I mean how hard a barrier is that to overcome though for people to admit that they need help Uh, whether it's with a toddler or with a teenager? I think sometimes the beginning can be really difficult, but I have found that as soon as I've connected with people and they realise that I'm not some super nanny from the TV that's going to come in and (laughs) waggle my finger at them, you know, I think it, it gets easier. If people have ideas about how I could make it easier to connect and ask for help, I'd love to hear them because I do find it is the biggest challenge with Angelic Monsters is... I mean, people have a lot of pride. And I think, too, people's, I I find, too, and it's probably more, I don't know if it's more prevalent now, but people's self-worth is tied very much to their parenting. And that's how they sort of see themselves. So I think that's that's the real challenge, isn't it, to say... Yeah, you know, I guess to link the fact that you want you you want to be the best parent that you can be, and we're here to help. We're not here to judge. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it starts from the moment they're born. Like people have expectations about how their birth is going to go. And if they feel like they need pain relief, then they're failing. And then they start breastfeeding. And if they need to supplement with a little bit of formula or if they need to see a lactation consultant, then they're failing. And it just kind of it starts in this pattern where they have this idea about how they think it's going to work. But kids are <laughs> they're their own little people. And sometimes they just don't behave the way that we think they're going to and seeking help is not failing it's just another part of that village that we really need because parents I mean I've, I've dealt with literally hundreds of toddlers and they might have had experience with one two maybe three or four and they're getting advice from their parents or their colleagues or their friends that also have had experience with one two maybe three or four and I just think, yeah, I have a lot to offer because I've seen many, many different children in many, many different situations. And sometimes it's like these tiny little nuggets that parents take away and they're like, oh, and it just changes their whole world. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you touched on an important point there too. Parents have this view of this is how the, my child is rearing is going to go and it's going to follow this sort of linear pathway in their mind and obviously <laughs> it, never, it never quite works out that way. Quickly yeah. on the name, where, where did you get the angelic monsters? Where did that name come from? I find that kids are so often labelled as one or the other and that really irks me because I, I would spend all day with children and they would be kind of on, on my program with me and we'd be doing things the way that we do and then their parents would walk in at the end of the day and they'd go from sitting up on the table saying please and thank you and just being so lovely and pleasant to be around and the parents would walk in and they'd throw themselves on the floor because they wanted a blue cup instead of a pink cup and and they you know that whole thing that happens at dinner time which I find completely bizarre because that just didn't happen for me and then yeah, I just sort of, they're angelic monsters. They're both. They, it depends. And you yeah. can really sway them depending on your own behavior. So, yeah, that's, I like the oxymoron. As you've worked through this parenting coaching, I've written this as sort of what some of the common mistakes are, but let's take the negative out of it and sort of say, what are some common problems that you see that parents are having with their toddlers uh, that you need to, to assist with? Through the, through the programs uh, that come out of Angelic Monsters? So the two things that little people are completely in control of is eating and sleeping. So they can choose whether they're going to swallow that food or not. Uh, specifically, like I normally w work with kids up to the age of seven. So this kind of toddler to early primary school age, food definitely and sleep are the, are the two biggest things. But generally I find that even the solutions to these particular behaviors is just an overall dynamic in the relationship between the adult and the child needs an adjustment. So I use the ABCs and talk about uh, things like boundaries and discipline and where the boundaries are set. A lot of parents will put up with a lot more than they would actually prefer to. And sometimes they just need permission to pull their boundaries in and start saying no to their children earlier. And if you do that in many other situations in life, then the food and the sleep stuff can sort of fall away because it just becomes the way that the relationship dynamic works. Talk okay. us through the ABCs. What are, what are the basics that you're trying to get through the parents when you've sort of, I mean, do you sort of work through it and this is the first sort of thing that I want to get through and then we sort of develop from there? 
Yeah, definitely. So the ABCs are, so A is for a routine, B is for boundaries, C is for consistency, D is for discipline, E is for an environment that's both encouraging and engaging, F is for follow through, and G is for gratitude. And I talk about these as if they're, they're all cogs that you need to have and it doesn't matter what the cog looks like. So you can swap the discipline out. The discipline might be to take attention away when they're really little or it might be, I don't know, naughty corner or it, it, it evolves as children's needs change, but all seven cogs need to be there or otherwise there'll be some kind of failing in the process. So I sit down with parents and we have a, a really good look at what these cogs currently look like in their house and there's usually one or two missing so we find ways to to introduce them and make sure that they're there and then potentially adjust some of the others to create a proactive parenting plan because I think it's really important that you need to be prepared for what happens when your child gets up for the seventh time at two o'clock in the morning because you do weird things <laughs> if, if you don't have a plan well, and do you find as parents go on that they learn from their from their mistakes, if you like, and, and things that didn't work? Or do you find that they're more likely to do that when they have second and third children as well? Oh, we're, we are creatures that are born to learn. People often do as their parents did or potentially the opposite of what their parents did. And I think definitely if we look at and analyse our own behaviour and become proactive, then we can create long-term change. But if you just kind of muddle along and do as you've always done, you can fall into these patterns of behaviour that then are, are quite difficult to break. And what do you think the main skills, I mean, outside of just the information you're passing on, what do you think the main skills that you're trying to pass on the parents that are going to help them uh, in their, you know, bring, bring their children up? Proactive parenting is, is what I would label it. So actually, instead of just getting up on a Tuesday morning and muddling through the day and going with how your child feels that day and whether they're, you know, feeling wobbly or feeling happy or trying to actually have some kind of overall plan that directs the way your days go, specifically when you're trying to address some kind of behavior change. And kids kids make it really difficult for us because they start out as these little newborns and they have one set of needs and then they change into toddlers and then everything changes and they need a completely different set of skills from us as parents. And it takes us a little while to keep up. So I'm trying to give parents a really basic plan that they can just go back and remodel and remodel so that every time there's something that needs to be changed, they can look at the same plan that they had before. Okay, okay, how are we going to change these cogs now so that they're working for this child that we have because this is not the same child that we had six months ago? I guess I'm trying to simplify it. Well, I mean, what I'm hearing too is it's not about just having your plan A. You've got to have plan A, B and right through to sort of F and, F and G maybe because you, and it's not about reacting to the, what how the child responds to each thing you're trying to do. It's about, okay, I'm prepared for the way this, the child is responding to this and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive and, and 
you know, implement plan B or plan C or whatever. I mean, is that a fair summation of what you're trying it's, to get through? It, it's case by case, Darren. So it sort of depends. Sometimes I get these parents and they'll say to me, oh, I've tried everything. And all I hear in my head is, okay, so you've tried a few things, but you've never followed through with any of them. So for things like trying to create, a t trying to teach a child how to go to sleep, I think it's good to just have plan A and stick with it as much as possible. Other things throughout the day, yes, you would have plan A, B, C, D. It, yeah, it kind of, it depends on the specific behavior that you're trying to address. So yeah. Case well, I guess it comes back to the consistency, doesn't it? The, the, the C yeah. within the, AB, the, the ABCs of it. And I have to say that usually, you know, I said before people have the cogs, but there might be a couple missing. Usually yep. consistency and follow through are the two that people really fall down, fall down on. The getting to the end part is really important. Well, a common thing that I saw <clears throat> within my friendship group is that the, the whichever partner, and usually it was the female partner, was home during the day, and she's mm -hmm. trying to set certain boundaries and, and do certain things within the parenting, and then the father or the, or the mother, whoever's the working part of the relationship, would come home and they'd do something completely different. And yep. th then you lose the consistency. I mean, how important is it? I mean, it goes without saying it's important to uh, have everyone on the same page, I guess. But maybe I'll, I'll reframe and say, how difficult is it to get both parents on the same page, particularly when one's, one's at work and one is a stay-at-home parent? Again, it's case by case. It sort of depends on those personalities of the parents. But usually by the time people are working with me, they recognise that there's an issue and people are open to working together. It is a really important component. And I have a big meeting with parents at the beginning and say, you both need to be invested in this process or otherwise it's not going to be as effective. But on the same page, kids are really good at figuring out <laughs> how things work. And, you know, if mum says no, ask dad, that kind of stuff, they really it doesn't take them very long to figure out that the rules are different at grandma's house and they can get away with a bunch of stuff. And then once they come home and they're back with their parents in their own house, they tend to switch back to the old rules. They're very flexible. A lot of people notice this when kids first go to school or, or preschool and they're like, I have a child that never eats or sleeps or does anything that I want it to do at home, but then it comes to preschool and it takes itself off to the toilet and has a nap for three hours. Like, what's going on? How do you get them to do that? And it's just because they understand that the expectations are different at daycare. And those parents who would like their children to behave more like they do at daycare just need to change the expectations at home. What, what sort of skills have you developed yourself, do you think? I mean, do you look back on yourself in 2013 when you started this to where you are now what, what sort of where where would your own sort of personal development have have been during that time oh, i imagine it's been massive i mean dealing with uh, parents and and just people in the world is very similar to dealing with toddlers if you can, if you can manage a toddler well i feel like you can sort of manage all sorts of people so you have your own sort of ABCs of dealing with the parents. That you <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. I mean, it's a it's a really difficult thing to come in and analyze and potentially cr critique something that is so important to an to a person. I, yeah, I, I can imagine that being on the receiving end would be a very difficult place to be. So I try and be 
as gentle and empathetic as I as I can. And yeah, I, I, I seem to do well, so. Have you found that you've modified the way you communicate uh, with people during that time? Definitely. Yep, even just people in my life. I mean, you become more aware of how much how much your words and your all of these things like I my ABCs for myself I have boundaries about what kind of behavior I'll put up with and then I sort of maybe maybe not so much as in a parenting program like a proactive parenting program where you lay it all out and put it on paper and and stick it up on the wall so that you can remember what you're trying to do but definitely it's affected the way that I think and and deal with people in my life I mean do you now I guess you're more aware of what I'm saying and how it's going to impact on these people. I mean, does it come down as specific as body language and things like that that you're paying attention to when you're communicating with people? Oh, definitely. Body body language is one of the biggest tools that little kids use to communicate. And we we all use it so much as adults. And I, I think a lot of people just aren't really tuned into that kind of thing. So... Yes, body language is a great tool of mine. Well, walk us through some of the keys to have toddlers thrive. So we'll, we'll go through some of the actual coaching advice that you provide and I guess give us an overview of some of these things. So the the keys are the ABCs, so these cogs that I use. The coaching process is when I sit down with families and find out, like really drag out all of all of the information of the things that they're struggling with. And usually there's a couple of really main ones, but then there's a lot of background ones and helping people figure out how their kind of minute to minute behavior can affect these really big problems that they're having at a specific time of day. And then we go through the cogs, figure out what's missing how we can set up each one so that it's going to work for that particular family with that particular child and, yeah, create a plan. I'm really big on printing things and having visual cues and literally sticking them up on the walls because it's so easy to forget. Whenever you're trying to do any kind of behaviour change for yourself, um, having visual cues all around the place is, is really important, I think. And, yeah, then we kind of we go through a trial and error phase and adjust the program until everything is getting better and then I'll check in a bit further down the track and usually by then there's new issues so that's always fun <laughs> <laughs> so and what at balance to life I mean we've been working now for a number of years around looking at wellness from a holistic point of view I mean and, and it feels like through the ABCs of, uh, of parenting that you've put together that you've got a very similar philosophy in terms of looking at diet uh, you know, sleep, self-awareness, things like that within the parents and the children. So that yep. how does things like diet and exercise play into the programs that you're putting together uh, for the children? Oh, massive. So a child that's not sleeping well, not eating well and isn't getting out and changing their environment and, you know, getting enough exercise is going to be a difficult child. So definitely things that we look at is making sure that children are being nourished with healthy food and getting enough exercise is a big one. Actually, like taking them out to the park and you've got to run them like a dog sometimes. Like these little two-year-olds, they just have so much energy. So, yeah, I've got some great games and stuff to get them, really get them moving (laughs) in a way that I don't have to. (laughs) So I've got this game. It's called Run Like a Cheetah. So you can sit on a bench or whatever. 
you say, I want you to run to that tree like a cheetah and then come back like a elephant. And then they'll do like a big stomping and they get back and you say, okay, run to the tree like a cheetah and then come back like a dog. And they, so they, yeah, that's great. You don't have to move. And they run and run and run. They'll do it for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that was one of the mistakes that, that I made when I was, when I had my first child and he wouldn't sleep during the day and we'd be like oh this is good because now he's going to sleep much more during the night and of course oh, get no, to the no. night not going to happen so no, we no, learned very quickly just sleep yeah exactly we learned that very quickly but i mean because it doesn't make because i think in our minds obviously uh you know if if you don't get a good night's sleep one night maybe you'll get a better night's sleep the next night but even that's probably not not quite right either it is getting into a routine isn't it around yeah, sleep then- and, and all those sort of different things within within their lives. Definitely patterns that emerge with the with the sleep stuff. <clears throat> Nothing worse than no sleep. Gosh, if you're having trouble with sleeping, please let's sort it out. <laughs> Just get it done <laughs> because everything's so much better when you've had a good night's sleep. Well, that's oh. it. And then it all ties, and obviously it does tie into exercise and diet and things like that. I mean, are there any particular foods that you immediately encourage and, you, and you're seeing a lot of children have and you immediately say, well, that that's something that you need to try and cut out or, or limit from the child's diet? Yeah, it is. It's another one of those things where I don't want to go in and be one of those finger-shaking people. And as I said before, parents seem to do what was done for them or, you know, a lot of people have very solid beliefs about food. So it's one thing for me to go in and go, oh, my God, all you give your kid is sugar and da 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 But people have different beliefs about that. So I have to be careful. But I do provide education about how this kind of food is going to affect your child's behavior. And then often <laughs> kids are just so fantastic. You know, they'll have some really sugary snack or something. And then within five or ten minutes, I'll be like, see this behavior? This is directly related to the sugar that is now currently pumping through the whole body. And the, and the kids often will do the work for me. All I have to do is point it out. So, yeah, I guess then people can make a choice about whether that behaviour is worth that food. I mean, is that the way you sort of communicate these things to the parents? If you, know, if you do it this way, this is the reaction you're going to get and let them learn for themselves rather than just the, the constant sort of lecturing and, as you say, finger-wagging that you might get from other <laughs> parent coaching. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely kind of point things out and then just let the dots connect, which is what we do for our, our kids anyway. I have a poster on my website. There's five different types of discipline. And I, there, these, I've got a, there's a whole bunch of free printables, actually, if people are interested that you can just sign up and then they come through in an email. Um, and they're all pretty, so you can put them on your wall. But yeah, there's five different types of discipline. And one of them is, I, I call it science says. So if this happens, then as a natural consequence, this is going to happen. And yeah, sometimes I just kind of, I I use that with parents and just illustrate that there's the connection between this and this and you can choose. It's up to you. So the most powerful sentence that I have for any toddler is you can do this and this will happen or you can do this and this will happen. You choose. And then all I have to do as the parent is follow through. Yeah. Wait, wait for the choice to be made and follow through. Yep. 
Yeah. If you put your shoes on, we can go to the park and have a really fun time. But if you don't put your shoes on, then we're going to be stuck at home and we can't go outside. You choose. And then you see their little cogs turning. It's it's really fun to watch their face and they're like, oh, actually, I really want to go to the park. All right, I'll put my shoes on. <laughs> and talk to me a little bit about the book. So we've got, when did you write How to Be the Big Person Your Little little Person Needs? When did you write the book and, and give us, I guess, the broad overview of what's included within the book? I wrote the book in 2016, I think. It all seems like ancient history. Yeah, so I wrote the book and the book's broken into three different sections. So the first section is all about parents and how we as parents need to look after ourselves first. I know it's cheesy, but the the whole story about the parent on the plane and they need to put their own oxygen mask on first because otherwise there's no one around to look after their baby is absolutely true because if we don't take care of our own mindset, then... Waking up grumpy and already on the back foot is definitely going to make days with toddlers pretty much impossible. So, yes, the whole first section is all about kind of mindfulness and things that we can do to look after ourselves. The second section is all about the ABCs and great examples of how they can all be used and those five different types of discipline and all that sort of stuff is in there. And then the third section is about specific problems that people have like sibling rivalry or eating or sleeping and then it's got instead of just having one one size fits all solution to these problems it's got you could try this if you think this is what's going to work for your family or you could try this or if those two things don't look like they would work well for you there's this third option so people can kind of find solutions that feel good to them from the outset instead of trying some prescribed thing that never felt good in the first place that they're not going to follow through with because it makes them feel sick when their kid is screaming in bed and they're not allowed to go in there so yeah just starting out with something that you think you can follow through with so I give lots of options instead of just straight prescriptions what changes have you seen so from the time that you've come into it in 2013 what changes have you seen in the way people parent across that that time or, or do you still or do you feel like it's it's been pretty sort of um pretty much the same through that time it's a good question I think generally people just want the best for their kids and the pattern that I see is that they often struggle to keep up as their children's needs change because they change so often and you know from newborn to toddler to child to teen you really need to rethink your parenting strategy and have a plan and I think consistently with the people that I'm working with who are obviously having some pretty big challenges it's that they just don't have a plan so that it hasn't actually changed much for me I don't think you go from uh, from early months to through to seven years of age I mean was there a particular reason you stopped at seven or was it just a sort of supply and demand thing that you if you say up to teenagers you'll be you'll be over you'll be inundated with with requests for the workshops etc yeah. Well, um, so at the time when I started Angelic Monsters, I'd nannied for 10 years and I'd, so I would, I'd work with two-year-olds and then they would go to preschool and then I'd get new two-year-olds. And I just got, I got really, really good at two-year-olds and that kind of young age group. And while all of this stuff applies to everyone, including your partner, 
I just, I just needed to kind of narrow it down and I really wanted to do what I was best at. But it's not to say that I uh, wouldn't work with someone if they are over the age of seven. I just, yeah, you, you, you get what you pitch for, I guess, and you've got to be careful what you, what you say. So I just chose to say up to seven. Do you work with any parents before they've had the children or do you find it's always more effective once, the, once they have the children will start working then? It's funny you should ask that question, actually. So obviously, I have a book about parenting. So it's really convenient when I go to baby showers and things like that. I just give them a copy of my book. But I always say when I hand them the book, I say, you don't need this yet. You should probably skim it if you're interested. But as soon as your child is sitting in a high chair and they look you directly in the eye and then they hold their hand out to the side and drop the spoon on the floor, then you definitely need to read it because <laughs> that's what, you know, when they just start testing all those boundaries and you can see them putting together the action reaction and how this works and how I can manipulate my parents because they do manipulate you. Yeah, I think that's that's where my book becomes useful. But I, I have had great feedback from people who read it straight away when their babies were born and they still, good friends of mine will come to me and say, I'm absolutely a better parent because I read that book so early and it's definitely affected my whole parenting journey, which is a, such a massive compliment. It, yeah, it blows my mind, really. Bring it back full circle to something we spoke about earlier. I mean, how do you think as a society we look at it and say, let's remove the stress of parenting and let's not allow, let, let's try and encourage people not to tie their sense of self-worth to how they are as a parent and get people to understand that, yeah, this is not, it's not a job that comes with a manual. It's a, it's a difficult job. It's not, it's something that we should be able to put our hand up and ask for help with. I mean, there's simple and practical things we can all start doing uh, in terms of how we, we interact with newborn parents even uh, that, that can assist in that cause, do you think? There I mean, probably that, is. That's a heavy question. That, that's a heavy yeah, question a to put you on the question. spot with, isn't it? I think people are so ready to give advice to people with newborns and it's often not welcome or helpful or well, yeah, good. Here's something really that I've noticed just anecdotally. When, you t when people are talking about their pregnancies, you'll hear the horror stories and the worst stories and, oh, it was terrible <laughs> and this and that. But then when they so talk about... Perfect. Their parenting, it's all roses and it's, oh, it's fantastic. And you don't hear the hard stories about bringing up the child, but you hear, you also don't hear the stories where it was a perfect birth and things like that. Like I always say to people, I share the story of my, I try and share the story wherever I can of my wife's first birth because it was much, you know, it, it, it was pretty linear in terms of how we planned it. That's how it went. And I think okay. that sort of puts people at ease a bit more. So maybe we need to, I guess, encourage people to talk about the struggles that they may be having as a parent when they're, when they're bringing up um, a young child rather than this sort of element of shame around it, which I'm sure you've seen. Yeah, and that does come full circle, as we were talking about earlier, where people are less likely to seek help once they have a toddler because they're supposed to just know how it all works and... I really do think that we as a society need to allow our parents to publicly struggle and seek help because I, I don't believe that there's a parent of a toddler out there that I wouldn't have something to offer to. 
because it's really a very, very, very difficult job. I think toddlers is in some ways significantly harder than babies. And it, it, yeah, it just makes me so sad that people struggle and don't get good advice. Well, I think it's about allowing people to be vulnerable, isn't it? Whether it's with pairing or with a lot of things. And I think if we can allow within our society people to do that, I think we're going to be much better off on a number of areas, including parenting. What what skills do you think, though, when, you, when you're taking people through these the, the parenting workshops, etc., what skills do you think people pick up as part of that that they might be able to transfer to the outside world and into their professional roles even? Sometimes it's just the past experience and the insight that I have that I can then translate to directly to their specific situation. I remember I had a woman in a workshop once and she she stood up and brave lady, I, I, I love it. She stood up in front of 80 other people and she said, every time my toddler walks past the freezer, he throws himself on the floor because he wants an ice cream and has a massive tantrum. Am I a bad mother if I don't give him an ice cream? And I just sort of looked at her and I said, if your husband <laughs> threw himself on the floor because he wanted a beer, would you give him one? And she said, no. And I said, well, why are you teaching your toddler that that is how he gets what he wants? And she was like, oh, my goodness. And just ha- you could just see her go, oh, I just treat him like I treat my husband and have the same <laughs> expectations of behavior because – yeah, just little things like this. I mean, it's okay to have expectations of your children's behavior that you would expect of all the other people around you. Like, of course, you make some leniencies because they're two, but overall, you're trying, in my opinion, you're trying to teach your child to be a responsible adult, you know, a respectable member of society. And people can't just throw throw themselves on the floor because they want something all the time. Like, that's not how it works, so... Well, I think things like boundaries, consistency, gratitude, I mean, they're things that we, we really need to have in our relationships with, with everyone within our lives, don't we? Not, not just the toddlers that you're trying to bring up. Definitely all very transferable skills. The last question I'd have is around, and we talk about gratitude, I mean, how much satisfaction do you get out of seeing the results of your workshops uh, and, and the coaching that you provide? Oh, I'm going to make myself cry. I'm actually eight months pregnant, so I'm oh. struggling. I'm struggling to like, you know, string a sentence together, but also quite emotional. But when I have people turn around, I'll never forget this woman turned around at the end of the program and she just said, Claire, I'm so grateful because I didn't like parenting my children before and now I'm really enjoying it and I feel like I'm doing a really good job and I'm definitely a better mother because of you. And I just remember being like, completely overwhelmed with the impact that I can have because often the people that I work with are people that really just don't want to go home at the end of the day. They would rather wait until the kids are already asleep because it's just so hard. Mm. And yeah, it's overwhelming sometimes the impact that can be made with just, it's like, you know, just a few words and ideas and posters on the wall and uh, the ability to change the most important relationship in those parents' lives is massive. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was going to share a story uh, from my experience with, with uh, parental coaching in the sense that I was a coach of a rugby league team many years ago and I had one child who was a, you know, he had a lot of personality, let's put it that way, and he was just, <laughs> but he was difficult for me to sort of 
uh, you know, it's it's one of those things like you spend ninety percent of your time on ten percent of the players when you're sort of doing that coaching, and yep. then about three quarters of the way through the season, just a complete change in him, and he became one of our best players. He was really a joy to be around, and he was he sort of and he lifted the whole team up with his change in attitude. And I was talking to his mum at the end of the season. I said, well, what, what? I said, I've noticed the change. She said, I went to parent classes at the time. And the thing that she said that always stuck with me, she said, I, I'm friends with my son now. Well, not so much friends, I guess. We get along now, to, to your point earlier. And she was enjoying parenting. And the biggest thing that came across to me was not that he didn't have a great personality change or anything like that, but he was just a happier child and I guess a more well-adjusted child from the boundaries that she'd been setting at home, which that was the biggest problem for her, just not mm-hmm. being able to set boundaries and things like that. And she was a single mum and was always trying to please him rather than... And, I mean, she saw the the result of that. She was much happier. He was much happier. I can tell you I was much happier as a coach <laughs> having to deal with him as well. So I, I've seen firsthand what, you know, the, the results of what, what you're sort of doing can can bring to people's lives. Um, and I think it is something that's very important. The final question I'd have is around how people sort of get involved or, or, or find information about angelic monsters. So what are some of the ways that people can receive assistance um, from angelic monsters other than the buying the book and things like that? Yeah, definitely. So if you just go to Google and type in angelic monsters, the website will come up. My phone number is all over it if you just want to call and have a chat. I'm open to learning more about you and what it is that you need uh, and figuring out if it would work well for us to work together and then what that would look like. Um, Also on the website, there's the posters that I was talking about that has a lot of this information in a visual format that you can print out. They're all free. And also, of course, you can buy the book on the website if you are interested in having a look at that. So just to provide those details, again, the website is www.angelicmonsters.com.au and the book on the website is How to Be the Big Person Your Little Person Needs. And I think we've taken a lot there today from Claire in terms of some of her parenting advice, but there's so much more that you can learn in this area and that she is able to share, which you will find uh, on the website. So I wish Claire all the best with her pregnancy. Thank you again for her time and we look forward to joining you again with some more interesting conversations covering a wide range of areas in this health and wellbeing space very soon. <music>